You're listening to the Brooklyn USA podcast, an occasional audio love letter from Brooklyn to the world. Music may be even older than language. We may never know which came first, but what we do know is that the two forms of expression have evolved together for tens of thousands of years. So it's only natural that some artists might use music to preserve the power of a language. In this episode, producer Tadia Toussaint introduces us to a husband and wife musical duo who compose and perform songs in the common language of their homeland to celebrate its revolutionary power. Here's Tadia. As a young girl, Riva Nairi Précile would not be allowed to speak her native language, Haitian Creole, at dinner tables in some Haitian homes. Her husband, Monvelino, who was an active part of establishing Little Haiti BK, feels race and the Western influence from the French has confused the country's identity and embracing of the island's native language. These experiences have helped shape the mission of the band that they have formed together. Boyo music. Whether as a symbol of revolution or method of preserving the language, speaking and performing the tongue of their forefathers is important for the artists, not only in their music, which they describe as musique engagée, music that engages, but also when parenting their two young babies, Loa, age three, and Afudai, age one. Hello, hello, bonsoir, Well, My name is Rivan Priscil. I am half of the Boyo Music Band, and I'm a singer, a dancer, a jeweler, an author, artist, creatrix, mother. <laughs> yeah, my name is Movolino. I'm a musician, producer, guitar player, singer, painter. Creole is very important for both of us. We've both studied it. We know how to read and write it as well as speak it, which is sort of rare <laughs> nowadays. The spelling for Creole is Creole, C-R-E-O-L-E in French and in English. And that's sort of like the universal spelling because that's how they spell it across the Caribbean for all the other islands who are also colonized by the French who have that same broken language that's referred to as a Creole. Or a patois. I don't think it's a problem if they call it book in French, you know? Because technically it is. We have English in Creole. When we say blackout or Spanish, when we say decabes, you know, it's not just French. All the languages come from other languages. But Creole in Haitian Creole is spelled K-R-E-Y-O accent force, which is the accent that goes slanted towards the left, mm-hmm. L. That Creole is specific to Haitians. The Creole that is across many other Caribbean countries is different and is not the same. When someone says, do you speak Haitian? Obviously, it's because it's a lack of education. They don't know the word Creole. 
Creole is a word that the French created. They created a community of people that they colonized. If we don't find a way to resolve all these problems, there will always be something that people step on. Creole will always be a problem. Mm -hmm. you know, it but, creates division. And that's what the imperialist wants. That's what all these white folks want, to create division in us. Mm -hmm. Because this language, Creole, was created for independence. We had different parts of Africans all over, and we had to come up with language that everybody understands. When the Caribbeans hear Haitians speak Creole, they respect that. Creole was the first tool to communicate about what we can do. It's a form of revolution in a sense because it's so frowned upon in our community. It's not even the main language of the islands. The principal language of Haiti is still French and Creole is the secondary. And in the school systems, they speak to the students in French. They learn their lessons and regurgitate or recite it back in French, whether or not they understand the meaning of what they're being taught or what they're saying. But in actuality and factuality, Creole is the language that we all speak. It's the language that we feel in. It's the language that's spoken at home, in the streets. And unfortunately, Creole has a bad rep because it's the language that was created by our forefathers, you know, the enslaved people who were brought from Africa, from various regions, and they all spoke different dialects, mixed it in with some French, some Taino dialect, and it, it became a language that we all spoke and communicated in because of that, it's just always been in chains. Like it can't be free. And many people don't know how to spell it correctly. And there's all these different variations of it. And we can't get on the same accord on the same page when it comes to Creole. And when you meet someone formally, you have to speak either French or even English. Both of us feel very strongly that it's a big part in the revolution, pushing it, putting it in people's faces. And speaking it properly, when I speak properly, is like not Frenchifying it when we're speaking it. Even I'm guilty of that because I grew up in that sort of society where we speak Creole, but we sort of make it sound a little bit fancier by curving certain sounds and making a little bit more on the French side. But Creole is a very, you know, cut and dry sound. So I say sound, what you see is what you get. In French, there's like four letters that make one sound in Creole. It's like every letter is accounted for, even in its grammatical sense. It's very telling of what it represents. Now, where we stand for the language is to normalize it. Because mm -hmm. as we've said, French is the first language of Haiti, mm -hmm. but it's a form of prejudice because most of the population speak Creole. I wrote something about that. I said, nous parlons Creole dans l'école française. C'est pas jouette, c'est pas jouette. Une révolution qui tourne en dévotion pour jouette. It means that we speak Creole, but we go to a French school. And this revolution that we had in 1804 turned into a devotion for white people because they just are pushing the agenda into the, the country. We're like, now the problem is getting bigger because the majority of Haitians now wants to speak English because the diaspora and Americans has a huge influence on Haitians. 
We have many books in Creole and music. And then old people around us, like our parents, mm -hmm. you know, when we go to Haiti, we speak Creole and then we listen to them when they're talking. And if there's something that we might not fully understand and we ask questions mm -hmm. and then to find out what exactly that means, we keep the words and then do research and find out when that word is, is being you. We all evolved two times. Okorat wasn't part of Haitian. It got out on the President Aristide term. So mm -hmm. when all these people in the street, Kokorat, but uh, as again, Kokorat is not a bad thing because if you don't have Kokorat and the soil, the soil is not being sterile. Mm -hmm. There's so much confusion in things that people say to other people. They don't even understand the, the, the meaning or the history. President Aristide, he said, quote, it is possible to build a new Haiti because of what is on our flag, and that is, united we are strong. Aristide then flew by helicopter to the site where the revolutionaries declared independence from the French. Today, we are going to take a look back at the roots of the Haitian Revolution and the state of Haiti today. Haiti is located on the western part of the island Hispaniola, which it shares with the Dominican Republic. The French turned it into their most profitable slave colony. But in 1791, the slaves revolted. By 1804, the slave armies defeated Napoleon's legions, making Haiti the first independent black republic in the world. And that was the New York Times' Howard French from the documentary Haiti, Killing the Dream, narrated by Ozzie Davis. It was written by Juan Gonzalez. After the independence, they had agendas to keep Haiti under and to keep Haitians along with the chain in your mind. So that's why we push for that in New York City and America for us to have our own place. They want you to be free when I moved here. My first question was, how come we don't have an environment for ourselves? I kept mm. asking all the people I met this question. I'm like, we don't have our own environment. There's Little Italy, there's Chinatown, there's this, there's that. How come we don't fight for a place? I kept right. asking everybody that. And they told me, yeah, that fight started already, but we're still fighting for it. You know, it's mm. where people come, we have a community. And first, you have to start with a place, with environment, if you have a community. There's a lot of Asian elected officials, and we have a lot of Asian artists like Jensen Dozier. We were also there to fight for them to put Jean-Claude name. We were part of that fight, and it went on the news. The subway station at Newkirk and Nostrand Avenues in the Little Haiti section of East Flatbush now has a new name. The MTA renaming the station Little Haiti Station in honor of the neighborhood's Haitian culture. News 12's Jeanne Caldwell has this story. For years, this area has seen a cultural movement being named Little Haiti back in 2018 and even having streets renamed after prominent Haitian figures. Today, that movement continues with the renaming of the Newkirk Avenue subway station. You can see the new signage on the subway now says Newkirk Avenue Little Haiti Station. Signage on the subway platform says Little Haiti. And MTA officials say the audio systems have also been updated. Today, elected officials in the community came together to celebrate 
celebrate the station's renaming, playing music and dancing in the street. The station's renaming is part of an initiative by Assembly Member Rodney's Bishop Hermlin and other elected officials, which, according to a bill in the State Assembly, is to enhance the experience of the Haitian culture to both residents and visitors. I was so happy to witness that because it was big. As Little Haiti became what it is, it was always because of the majority of the community of Haitian that lived there. They said Sunny was like a beast, it was an animal because of the demon that we were pushing. We have a whole Nostron Avenue called to celebrate you. It is a big thing for us because we speak Creole in the street. We definitely try to speak Creole to our children and teach it to them as much as we possibly can. Hi, Bobo. Merci. <laughs> Although now that I am living it and experiencing it firsthand, I now see and understand how it can be challenging to teach children a language while also raising them abroad. I have a children's book, Anaela La Sirene, which is entirely in Creole to provide something that is familiar to the Creole-speaking reader or to a child of Haitian descent to see something that's entirely theirs. Our daughter, she's three and she's communicating a lot. She's predominantly English speaking, but it's so important for us that she understands it, that she hears it all the time, speaking it around her. So that it's not so unfamiliar. But I have family members who don't speak Creole to their children at all. I think that the best way to do it is going to be to bring them down to Haiti to really hear everyone speaking around them all the time. In our social settings, we're very much deep in the Haitian community, so they hear it all the time. But it's not until you're forced to be in a space where nobody will understand you if you speak English that you're going to now have to speak it, you know? So, the way that we promote it is speaking it amongst ourselves, around our friends, teaching each other, learning from each other, just definitely listening to a lot of Creole music. Like one of my favorite musicians to listen to is Mano Chalmain. Not only his writings, but the writings of various Haitian poets and Haitian writers, and he was interpreting it and composing with those. So a lot of great musical resources for music, and all of our music is in Creole. We find it very interesting singing Creole to a non-Creole fan, because you can Google things. Now people are texting people and they're researching what they're saying to each other. We are in the time where like language right now, it's not an issue. And especially if you have a cause, music is universal. If you're speaking about freedom, the language is not going to be a problem. We just released our children's lullaby of Creole music. It's entitled Dudu Titi. It came out this past December. 
we felt it was very important for our youth, not only, but also for our adults to be introduced to this repertoire or reintroduced to it, since many of us have heard some of the songs or don't necessarily know the words or the rhythms, or we've heard various versions of it. If you want your kids to keep listening Creole, you can just play those songs. And that gonna push the kids to ask questions. And that's how you start teaching somebody a right. language. The vibration reaches the listener, and if it reaches them in that way, then they'll be more, you know, curious and intrigued to learn more. A lot of times people tell me, like, I have no idea what you're saying, but I just can't stop listening. That in itself, to me, speaks volumes that the energy has touched them and has reached them. So, la fit. As parents ourselves, we feel that there's a need for that because in researching for music to play for our children, we find that there's a plethora of Latin American music. There's a plethora of African lullabies. There's so much, but for Haitian music, lullabies, it's very, very sparse. Besides revolutionary cultural work, it is also a spiritual work. Haiti was free because of voodoo, voodoo, or however you call it. We are voodoo in New Orleans because of Haitians. We are the father of that town. If you know the history, French give that town to America to just escape trouble with Haiti because for what we did in 1803. It is all spiritual first, before music, before culture, before language. It is like a cultural, spiritual movement. It's more universal than music. You can be singing something, the person doesn't understand you and feel the message and the person doesn't even know why he keeps listening to you. We definitely consciously choose and decide to perform and to create music in Creole and to represent ourselves clearly without any confusion in what we're presenting. For myself, being, you know, of mixed descent and fair skin, it's unexpected first and foremost when someone sees me to get on stage, they think I'm going to sing a sweet compa or a sweet zoo. We perform and we create various styles, but we are very careful to always keep the essence of the message that we're trying to push. So we will do some Poubadou, we will do some compa, but the bulk of our music is music engagé. So that means music that is revolutionary, you know, like decolonizing in a sense. So for me, as I was saying, I find that it's surprising and also contrary and shocking to a lot of people and intriguing. So I like when people say like her Creole is so rough or her Creole is so, you know, rough. I take pride in that when someone says that. As a child growing up and learning to speak Creole in my Kati, in my, you know, in my neighborhood, it was frowned upon and a lot of people told me it was very unladylike of me to speak like that and I had to fix the way that I spoke. Some households, I would be invited over to dinner, they would tell me I wasn't allowed to speak Creole at the dinner table. These are real stories on IET, like people who live in Haiti who tell their children they're not allowed to play with other kids who speak Creole, like you have to speak French. So for us, you know, with these experiences that we have under our belt, we are trying to retrain, reteach our people, especially in the diaspora who perhaps don't speak Creole at all and who are so thirsty and so interested in that knowledge. One of our friends who teaches Creole at NYU, she uses our music in her coursework to teach um, certain vocabulary words, phrases, expressions. We always make it a point to put rich Creole in our work. It's just a way to encourage other people to normalize it, to make it okay to not 
round your mouth a certain way when you're speaking Creole because that's actually not how it's said. That's actually not the proper term. We're actually speaking improper Creole. We're doing ourselves a disservice and our ancestors because that's not the language that they spoke when they fought so hard to give us the independence and then to share it across the globe, basically. Hello there, this is Shijia Winka, musician filmmaker, speaking from Crown Heights, Brooklyn, New York. I am uh, of Nigerian descent from the Yoruba tribe. I'm a Yoruba man. My full name Adeshijibumi Awinka means the crown of protection. So on language, um, the Yoruba language is very tonal, which of course means that one word can have a, like a four or five different meanings, depending upon how you inflect the vowels, or even some of the consonants as well, within the language. Uh, within the Yoruba language, we have three main tones, which is up, down, and middle, or dead center, I would say. So take a, a word like um, any, for instance, you have any, which is egg. You can also say any, which is teeth. Or you can say any, which means back. So that same word spelled the same way. You have any, any. I remember a few years back when um, I tried writing and singing in Yoruba. You know, I took it for granted that I could actually sing in in the language, given I spoke it fluently, understood it fluently and everything. Um, but I didn't think about writing or singing a song within the language until the producer I was working with at the time, Alex Avery, suggested, hey, do you Yoruba? You speak the language, you know the culture. Why don't you try writing and singing one of your songs in Yoruba? You know, I just kind of took it for granted that I could. So, I um, I wrote the song in English, as I, as I normally would. I composed it. And then I got to the mic, and I tried rhyming, or, you know, translating in my mind and singing. And none of it made any sense, again, because of the tones within the language. You know, I, I'd rhymed the song, I'd written the, the verses in English, obviously, and my rhymes were there. In Riyadh, you know, but when I translated it into Yoruba, none of it made any sense. So what I had to do is I had to think in Yoruba and sing and write in Yoruba as opposed to doing it all in English and then trying to transfer it into the language, which didn't make any sense whatsoever. So lesson learned there. And um, another great one I was just teaching my daughter the other day is um, a word for frog is okbolo, <laughs> which actually means frog. Another word which, you know, Okbolo is spelled O-P-O-L-O, Okbolo. You can also have Okbolo, which means brain. And then you can also have 
Opolopo, which means many people. <laughs> As a child, we also had this play with words we'd use. Um, it was a, like a you know, like a, a riddle, a tongue twister, so to speak, which it kind of goes like this: Muradudunido, Mujadudunido, Mufawadudurawmanidudunido, <laughs> which is a real tongue twister. Breaking it down, it means fried plantain is called dodo. And we also have a part of Nigeria, part of Lagos, a, a neighborhood in Lagos called Ido. It's the name of a, of a borough, so to speak. And then you have Idodo, which means belly button. So those are three words we're playing with now. Ido, the town or the, the borough. Dodo, that's the fried plantain. And then Idodo, which means belly button. So the rhyme goes, Muradudonido, Mujadudonido. Breaking it down, it means I bought fried plantain in Ido. I ate the fried plantain in Ido. I use my my dodo grease-stained fingers <laughs> to rub the plantain seller's belly button in Ido. I use my plantain stained fingers to rub the, the plantain seller's belly button. So it's, it's a real tongue twister. So the language is powerful. It's a, it's a strong cultural identifier as well. You know, the Yorubas are very witty and um, there's so many... Uh, proverbial sayings, which also play with some of the words, you know, which you can find in songs and in the language itself. So I found it to be a very, very powerful and uh, intriguing, fascinating means of communication among the Yoruba. Thank you. Shinji. Bye-bye. Brooklyn, USA is produced by me, Karel Palmer. And me, Emily Bogosian. And me, Shirin Barry. And me, Charlie Hoxie. And me, Mayimi Sato. With help this week from Tadia Toussaint. You can find Tadia on Instagram at tadia.underscore. Thank you to Riva Nari, Movalino, and Shiji Iroyinka. You can find Riva Nari and Movalino who composed the musical group Boyo Music at riva.nari at movalino and at boyo music. That's B-O-H-I-O music. On social media and online at boyomusic.com. To learn more about the Endangered Language Alliance, support their work, and view their interactive language map, visit www.elalliance.org. If you want to tell us a story or somehow end up on our podcast, check the show's notes for a link to our guide on recording a voice memo on your mobile phone and sending it to us on the internet. And if you like what you hear or think that we missed something, comment, like, share, and subscribe. And follow at Brick TV on Twitter and Instagram for updates. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, 
visit www.breakartsmedia.org radio. We are on the unceded territory of the Lenni, Lenape, Canarsie, Shinnecock, and Moonsee people. We acknowledge the many indigenous nations with ties to this land, and we recognize that the Lenape still call Manahata home. <laughs> 